I will be reading Lamentations chapter 3, verse 34 through 66. If people crush underfoot all the prisoners of the land, if they deprive others of their rights in defiance of the Most High, if they twist justice in the courts, doesn't the Lord see all these things? Who can command things to happen without the Lord's permission? Does not the Most High send both calamity and good? Then why should we mere humans complain when we are punished for our sins? Instead, let us test and examine our ways. Let us turn back to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven and say, we have sinned and rebelled and you have not forgiven us. You have engulfed us with your anger, chased us down and slaughtered us without mercy. You have hidden yourself in a cloud so our prayers cannot reach you. You have discarded us as refuge and garbage among the nations. All our enemies have spoken out against us. We are filled with fear, for we are trapped, devastated, and ruined. Tears stream from my eyes because of the destruction of my people. My tears flow endlessly. They will not stop until the Lord looks down from heaven and sees. My heart is breaking over the fate of all the women of Jerusalem. My enemies, whom I have never harmed, hunted me down like a bird. They threw me into a pit and dropped stones on me. The water rose over my head and I cried out, this is the end. But I called on your name, Lord. From deep within the pit, you heard me when I cried, listen to my pleading, hear my cry for help. Yes, you came when I called. You told me, do not fear. Lord, you are my lawyer Plead my case, for you have redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong they have done to me, Lord. Be my judge and prove me right. You have seen the vengeful plots my enemies have laid against me. Lord, you have heard the vile names they call me. You know all about the plans they have made. My enemies whisper and mutter as they plot against me all day long. Look at them. Whether they sit or stand, I am the object of their mocking songs. Pay them back, Lord, for all the evil they have done. Give them hard and stubborn hearts and then let your curse fall on them. Chase them down in your anger, destroying them beneath the Lord's heavens. Let's pray. God, we ask you to speak. We ask you to speak to our hearts. We need your voice to drown out all the other voices that we hear in this world. God, we ask that your spirit that is here and lives within the life of your children, I pray that your spirit would speak comfort to hearts that need to be comforted today. God, I pray that your spirit would speak conviction to hearts that need to be convicted today. Would your Holy Spirit that is the teacher of all things speak to our hearts and minds and help us understand, God, what is your message for us, not just as a church, yes, as a church, but as a, for us as individuals. God, what do you want to say to us? God, we invite you to speak. Have your way in our life. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but I am ready for spring. Uh, this shirt is my attempt to try to will it to be spring. This was like the springiest thing that I could see in my wardrobe. So if we have a nice week of weather, you've got me to thank right here. We're in week five of this series that we're calling The Taste of Ashes, 
learning the art of lament. And over this season, as we head up to Easter, we've been walking through, plodding through the five tear-soaked poems that make up the book of Lamentations. It's been a challenge. It's been a challenge. Here's what I know to be true. Every one of us in this room is unique. Every one of us has a different background. We're all different ages, different ethnicities, different life experiences. But if there was one thread that I believe would run up and down every row in this room and tie our hearts and our lives together, it would be that thread of suffering and pain. That's what we've been talking about in the book of Lamentations. Although every person in this room, your suffering and your pain, it is unique to you. Nobody else has experienced the things that you've experienced. Nobody has the temperament that you have to be able to process those things the way that you have. But nobody escapes the pain and suffering of this world. Now, the last thing that I want to do over this series of talking about Lamentations is is just to talk about pain and suffering in general, like all of it fits in to one big bucket. All of it is just the same because that's not true. It is so unique and so personal to every single one of us. But you've seen suffering. You know what it means to suffer. You've watched suffering around you and it comes in all shapes and sizes. Every one of us has a story of suffering, pain, and loss. And I was thinking about it, and if we really wanted to learn the art of lament, probably the best thing that we could do as a church family is just every one of us, one by one, come up here on this stage and have the opportunity to open up the curtains of our life and talk about the things that we've experienced. Share about those things, the suffering, the pain, and the loss that have marked our life and the lives of people around us. We would learn the art of lament because we would just get our arms around each other and we would mourn with those who mourn. We wouldn't give advice, wouldn't tell people what to do. We wouldn't try to explain it away or give a reason for the things that are happening. We would just simply cry with each other. We would learn the art of lament. And the reason that I know that this is true is that I might just have a unique position And that I get to have a lot more conversations with the breadth of our church than other people do. And I hear the stories. I hear the pain and the suffering that people go through. So as we step into this message today, again, the last thing, the very last thing that I would want to do is to try to sanitize or systematize the type of suffering that you've experienced in this life. But I also want to try to, in our hearts and our minds, give us some broad categories for how is it, just for reference sake, how do we understand the different kinds of suffering that people can experience? And some of my preparation for this message and this series in general, uh, there's a book by Tim Keller called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, and it's been very helpful for me. And one of the things that he does in this book is he talks about some different categories of suffering that we see in the Bible. Because we need to understand them uniquely because every one of them has a different challenge that we need to understand in order to navigate that kind of suffering with God. 
But here's what I want you to hear. Every one of the people that I'm gonna talk about in these different kinds of suffering, these were people that God loved. He dearly loved them, and yet they still experienced incredible suffering. The first kind of suffering that Keller talked about was the suffering of sin. The kind of suffering that comes into our life because of things that we do, things that we bring on ourselves. If there's one example that I think is probably the greatest example of this in scripture, it would be King David. Did God love King David? Absolutely. He called and anointed, gave him a mantle of leadership to lead the nation of Israel. David was considered a man after God's own heart. But when we get to the end of David's life, when he experienced the greatest amount of pain and suffering in his life, when the, when the wheels came off, it was very clear that much of that happened as a result of his own sin and his own failures. At one point, David just decides, I'm gonna have an affair with Bathsheba, somebody else's wife. And then to try to cover it up, I'm gonna have her husband killed so that nobody would know that it was me. But his life starts to unravel after that. He violated the law of God and it brought great suffering into his life. What David needed to understand about that kind of suffering is that I'm walking away from God. I'm doing my own thing. What was required of David is I need to repent, meaning I need to turn around. I need to turn around and once again begin to follow God. Some of the things that bring suffering into our life, we just need to repent and turn back to God and start to follow him. When I think about the different kinds of suffering that we're gonna talk about today, of all of them, I think this is the one that probably at least on some level makes the most sense to us. There's at least in some way, there's kind of a cause and effect to it. If I do this, if I disobey God, if I just say, thumb my nose at him and say, I'm gonna do my own thing and suffering comes into my life, well, it seems in some way that there's at least a sense of justice there. God is a God of justice. It just seems like it makes sense. But because this kind of suffering makes the most sense to us, what I think can happen is that we actually wanna try to put all of suffering into this kind of suffering. You can hear that in the voice of people as they try to process pain and loss that's happening in their life. You hear the types of questions that they ask. They see things like, what did I do wrong? Why is God punishing me? Why is he bringing discipline into my life? What is it that he's trying to teach me? We ask those questions because we think all kinds of suffering is like this. But the Bible makes it really clear. Not all suffering is the result of bad behavior. In fact, there's a whole category of suffering that's actually caused by good behavior. Good behavior, following God, and the betrayal of others that happens in the midst of that. What Keller calls the suffering of betrayal and good behavior. If I were to just highlight one character of the Bible that I think characterizes this the most, it would be the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, again, just like David, he was chosen by God, selected by him for a very special purpose. God said, Paul, you are gonna be my mouthpiece to the Gentile world. 
I'm gonna give you a special assignment. There are some of the apostles that are gonna primarily go to the Jewish world, but I want you to go to the Gentile world. And Paul, even though at one point he persecuted the church of God, when God called him to do this, he said, yes, absolutely yes. God, whatever it is that you're asking me to do, I'll do it. We look at the life of Paul and there was unwavering obedience. But what happened to Paul? What did his life entail? Incredible suffering because he obeyed because of good behavior and the betrayal of people. What happened to him? He was beaten. He was flogged. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He was imprisoned. You read throughout the letters of Paul constantly, he was starving and cold and naked. Everybody was turning on him. People that were close to him were turning on him, betraying him in his time of need. Not only his Jewish brothers, but the Gentiles as well. Not because of bad behavior, but because of good. Now that first kind of suffering that I talked about, that requires repentance to turn to God and begin to follow him again. But I've got to say this kind of suffering that comes from good behavior and the betrayal of people is some of the most confusing and disorienting of all kinds of suffering. It leads us to the place where we just start to throw open our arms and we're just, God, what are you doing? I'm doing everything I can to try to follow you. And it seems like at every corner, you're making my life more difficult rather than easier. God, why don't you make my enemy's life difficult and my life easier? God, I'm on your side. God, why don't you behave like that? Why don't my circumstances change? And if Paul wasn't careful, this kind of suffering can lead us to a lot of anger and resentment, bitterness to people around us that bring that suffering into our life in the midst of obedience. And it can even, sometimes that anger and resentment can be directed toward God. Sometimes suffering comes from good behavior. But there's a kind of suffering that Keller talks about that has the potential to just absolutely crush our soul with grief. And that's what he calls the suffering of loss. Some people have called this kind of suffering the universal suffering because nobody, nobody escapes this kind of suffering, whether their behavior is good or whether their behavior is bad. This is the kind of suffering that brings grief and loss into our life because we live in a broken world. We live in a broken world that's characterized by mortality, death, and decay. That is the world that we live in. And if we live long enough, we're gonna suffer the loss of people around us. We see this in the life of Jesus when he comes around Mary and Martha as they've lost their brother, Lazarus. And Jesus himself was moved inside and wept bitterly at the loss of his friend, Lazarus. And he comforts Mary and Martha in the midst of that. If you live long enough, every one of us will experience this kind of suffering. And it happens in 
just an endless number of variations. You know, sometimes it just seems like it's a little bit more natural when someone that's maybe elderly just succumbs to the death and decay of this world and move on, pass away. But sometimes through tragic accidents and natural disasters, this kind of suffering is just heaped upon us in ways that we lose people that are close to us. And the sense of grief and loss leaves us asking the question, why? God, why? What do you want me to learn from this? But lastly, and this might be the most challenging one for us to hear, is what Keller calls the suffering of mystery. The suffering of mystery. It just seems like there's no category that we can put this in specifically. It's, it's kind of like one of those none of the above. Although sometimes it has little aspects of all of those different kinds of suffering, but there's a mystery to it. But this is the kind of mysterious and horrendous kind of suffering that sometimes we refer to as just, it's just simply senseless. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. If we were to look at a character in the scriptures that typifies this suffering of mystery, it would be Job, in my opinion. When we look at the life of Job, there's no answer, there's no reason that is given for the suffering that he experienced. And he tried so hard to understand it. He's like, he's, is there a sin? Is there something that I did, Lord, to cause this in my life? The answer, no. There wasn't anything like that. What is the clear lesson, God, that you want me to learn from this? Job cried out. There wasn't a clear lesson that God wanted him to learn but he wanted to know why. What caused all this? And then Job had his friends that came alongside him trying to help him figure out what were the things that you did? What is the lesson that you want to learn? But even from God's own mouth, that wasn't it. When you get to the end, it's just this simple understanding. Will you love me? Will you trust me? Will you obey me? For no other reason than because I'm God. Will you just trust me? Regardless if you can explain everything that's happening around you and the suffering, will you trust me? If you're sitting here today and you're in the midst of suffering, it doesn't matter if you can figure out what category to put it in. Because what happens in our life as we start to engage the suffering around us is it starts to percolate within us. It starts to raise up questions. Questions in our heart and mind. Why? Why is this happening to me? Why do I deserve this? And ultimately, we, we come to the place where as we're crying out to God, even in lament, we're asking God, do you see? God, do you see what is happening are you aware of the things that are happening in this world around me and in my life? And probably even more penetrating, God, do you care? Does it matter to you at all? Whatever the type of suffering that you might be in or that you have experienced, that why question doesn't go away. And here's why that is. When people with faith in God 
experience, we experience in our life the realities of sin, the realities of this broken world, the injustice of this world, the oppression of this world, the violence, the lying, the seeming randomness of all the suffering. Inside us, we ask the question, why? And friends, that's the heart of lament. When we ask the question why, it is not us necessarily blaming God. And in and of itself, it is not intrinsically sinful. But we are crying out to God, asking why. It's what Augustine calls faith-seeking understanding. It's not that we don't have faith, but our faith cries out, God, help us understand how to put together the things that we see in this world. Let me try to frame it this way. There's a couple of realities, if you are a follower of God, that you believe to be true. One of them is, is God sovereign? Meaning, does God rule the world? A follower of God would say, yes, absolutely. I affirm that. A second thing that we believe to be true about God is that he is a God of justice, and he is a God of love and compassion. So the question that gets asked in our mind is, how do those two things fit together? If God is ruling the world and he is a God of justice and love and compassion, what sense can we make of all the evil in this world, the pain and the suffering, and why does he allow it to persist? And lament, friends, lament is what people of faith do as they try to process those questions. They're not hurling those questions at God. They want to process those questions with God. Why? Why, God? That is the essence of biblical lament. It's not a lack of faith. It's actually strong faith struggling with this this vertigo that is created when we stand between these two chasms with these two realities that we know to be true about God, that he's in control and he's good, but yet we see this evil and suffering, what do we do with that? Because we come to that place where we ask that simple question, God, do you see? God, do you see what is happening around me? That's the question that launches the poet of Lamentations chapter three into the last half of the chapter. Just as a way of reminder, the nation of Israel has gone through the most traumatic thing that they have ever gone through. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians have completely destroyed the city of Jerusalem, completely destroyed the temple, taken these people captive, taking them into exile. The human suffering was enormous, Demolition of everything that they knew to be true about God and their place that he had them. This national pride, complete humiliation at the hands of enemies. And it was in the midst of this that the poet cries out and he's asking the question, God, do you see? Lamentations 3, verse 34, talking about the enemies of God. If people crush underfoot all the prisoners of the land, if they deprive others of their rights, in defiance of the Most High, if they twist justice in the courts? Here's the question. Doesn't the Lord see all these things? 
Doesn't the Lord see all these things? But as we get to the end of the chapter, the poet goes back to a place where he remembers. He remembers the character of God. He remembers this God that is compassionate. He remembers this God of justice. And he remembers a place in his past when God, that God, showed up in his life. Verse 54 It says, the water rose over my head and I cried out, this is the end. But I called on your name, Lord, your name, from deep within the pit. What did God do? You heard me when I cried. Listen to my pleading, hear my cry for help. Yes, you came when I called. Lord, you have come to my defense. You have redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong that has been done to me, Lord. Be my judge and prove me right. You have seen the vengeful plots my enemies have laid before me. Lord, you have heard the vile names they call me. You know all about the plans they have made. As he remembers back, Thinking about the character of God, he comes to the conclusion, yes. Yes, God actually does see. He is not blind. He is not deaf. He sees what's going on and he is hearing my cry. Do you see what's happening, Lord? He says, yes, God is aware and God cares. Let's make a long trip right now from the poet of Lamentations 3, 587 BC, to 2018, Bozeman, Montana, where you sit today. As you think about the suffering going on in this world, as you think about the suffering that's going on in the people around you, as you think about your own personal suffering, do you believe what the poet said? Do you believe in your heart that God sees what is happening and that he's aware and that he cares. Do you believe it? Friends, if we don't believe that in the deep places of who we are, suffering has the potential to completely overwhelm us. Do you believe that? How can we know for sure How can we absolutely know for sure that God sees the suffering in our lives and that he's aware and that he cares? How can we know that the answer to that is yes? And if you only walk out of this room with one thing, I want you to hear the next couple sentences that I'm gonna say. You've got to take this with you. God sees and understands suffering. Not simply because he is God and he knows all things and he sees all things. God sees and understands our suffering because God himself was willing to leave heaven and plunge his life into the pain and suffering of this world and experience it with us. God was willing to take his own medicine. God became man and walked out a life of suffering and his name was Jesus. God became flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. And God experienced 
everything, every kind of suffering that we have experienced, God experienced. Just the ordinary pressures and difficulties and pains of human life, he experienced it. Jesus knew what it was like to be weary. He knew what it was like to be thirsty and to be hungry. He understood distress and grief. And the scripture says that he would cry out, cry out with cries and tears. He lamented. That's what the scripture is telling us. Jesus lamented. Jesus was completely misunderstood by those people that were closest to him. Completely rejected by his family. Completely by his family and his hometown. Completely rejected. He was tempted and assaulted by Satan in the desert. And here's what I think is the most amazing thing that the scripture tells us about Jesus and his suffering. That he actually learned from it. He learned how to walk with God through the suffering that he experienced. Hebrews chapter five, verses seven and eight. Let me read this to you. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears, meaning he lamented to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, God in the flesh, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. He learned how to walk with God. He learned what we experienced through the things that he suffered. He didn't just read it in a book. He didn't just figure it out by going to the temple. He didn't just do it by having religious experiences and going to religious events. He learned how to walk with God from the things that he suffered. And friends, if Jesus invites us to follow him, to walk in his footsteps, why would we ever think that we would live a life that would be free of suffering? Jesus invites us to suffer with him in this world. God understands because God is one who suffers with us. But when we think about the suffering of Jesus, we think about the end of his life. Sometimes this part of his life we refer to as the passion of Jesus. And when we hear that word passion, sometimes we think about being passionate or love. The word passion means suffering. The ultimate suffering of Jesus. And when we think about this final experience that Jesus had at the very end of his life, the amount of suffering he experienced was unfathomable. We can't even get our hearts and minds around it. The infinite cosmic agony that he experienced is beyond our knowledge of understanding. Not just the, the physical pain. We sometimes focus on the physical pain, but the emotional pain and the spiritual loss of bearing within himself the sin and the guilt and the shame of the world. And it was in that moment that Jesus called out and what I think is one of the most beautiful and honest prayers of lament that Jesus prayed. 
when he was on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? Jesus asked, why? Why? Why did he suffer? Because he wanted to satisfy justice. He needed to satisfy justice. Sin needed to be punished. But Jesus did it in himself so that he could forgive us and receive us and invite us to be his son. Jesus took the punishment that we deserved. And in the midst of that, he was cut off from his eternal relationship with the Father. Why? Why in the world? God suffered for us. God was willing to suffer for us. Do you see what that means? Do you see what that means when we start to think about our own suffering and the implications of that? True. That question why, probably on this side of heaven, you are not gonna get an answer to that question why. We don't always know what are the reasons that God has for the suffering that we go through, but we know what the reason is not when we look at the cross. The reason cannot be that God doesn't love us and that God doesn't care. Friends, do you see that? We can't look at the cross. God willing to suffer on our behalf, willing to make himself vulnerable to the suffering of this world and to bear in himself the sin of this world. We can't look at that and come to the conclusion that God doesn't care. You might say, well, that's cheating. That's only half the answer to the question of why. But friends, it's the half that we need. That's the half that we need to know. Whether we have a reason or an explanation, we need to know at the end of the day, God cares. He sees and he knows and he cares. And we need to believe and understand that God has a plan in it. That God is working a plan that one day will remove all tears of suffering. God will remove all tears. Because there's tears of lament in pain and suffering. But here's what you've got to hear. Tears are precious to God. Your tears that you cry and lament and in your suffering and pain, those tears are important to God. He sees every one of them. Every one of us that weeps and lament, he does not forget our tears. He sees those tears of repentance, those tears of loneliness, those tears of sympathy as we come around other people that are weeping, tears of frustration, fear, grief at the loss of people around us. God sees them all. just love how David said it. He made it so clear. Psalm 56, eight. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Is that an interesting thought? 
How precious are tears to God. He sees every one of the tears of his children. He collects every one. They are in his book. This book of Lamentations is a collection of the tears of the exiles. But by extension, we can see that it is a collection of our tears as well. Because theirs was different, but we experience suffering and sorrow just like they did. The invitation of lament, friends, the invitation of lament is to fill your bottle with tears. Fill your bottle with tears because God sees every one of them. Get around life with other people. Help them fill their bottle with tears. That is the art of lament. And we have this promise that there will be a day that God is moving his plan toward a day when he will restore all things. There will be a day where we will never get to do this again. God is gonna restore things in a way that he says, there will be no more tears. I will wipe every tear from the eyes of my people. There will be no more sound of weeping and crying. It will be heard no more. I will wipe all of their tears away. Does God see what's happening in your life? Yes, absolutely yes. He's aware. Does God care? Yes. We can't look at the cross and come to any other conclusion than that God understands and he cares about our suffering because he was willing to suffer with us. He was willing to suffer for us and he was even willing to suffer as us in our place on the cross. God's aware and he cares. I wanna ask you to set your things aside and I want you to just take a few moments to just process with God. Just ask him the question, God, what do you want to say to me from this today? I wanna give God the last word on your heart today. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.